Welcome to the Phil Clubley Kinesiology Podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to Ben Calder, who's a kinesiology, Bowen, Access Bars practitioner. I've known Ben for over a decade um, and he's been a teacher. I've done workshops with Ben. He's a mentor and also a friend. Uh, hi, Ben. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? Hey, Phil. Hi. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. And, and really grateful to be uh, here with you today. And thank you for the introduction. It's It's been an honour to work with you all of this time as well. Well, I mean, it's been amazing because obviously um, our field, I guess, there's, there's a lot of uh, women therapists and and not so many male therapists um so i think it's really important to to connect in with those male, male therapists and 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 see how how we do things and how we work and and for, yeah from a mentoring point of view it's been hugely beneficial to uh sort of tune into your experience you know i always think you're 15 years ahead of me so uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a, a rich seam <laughs> Um, so, I mean, every every therapist I, I know personally has uh, a story about how they came into into being a, a practitioner. Very few people wake up one morning and just decide that's what they want to do. What was your life like before you became a practitioner and, and what sort of led you to want to take that step from being a client to being a practitioner? Yeah, it, I mean, it was a really interesting journey in a lot of ways. I, I was really fortunate that even when I was in my mid-teens, my my mum was taking me to psychic development and, and intuitive development workshops. And I spent a lot of years helping out at the Cornwall New Age exhibition and listening, you know, in, in my mid to late teens, listening to some amazing speakers, uh, Sue and Simon Lilly, who mm. you and I uh, both know, who were, were there as a regular feature. And I, I got to listen to some amazing uh, speakers talking about all sorts of aspects of, of health and development. Uh, and I went away to university uh, in uh, 94 and uh, qualified as a primary school teacher, decided I wasn't gonna do that. Uh, went and, and did uh, outdoor uh, uh, activity instruction, doing high ropes and using NLP to get people to do stuff on high ropes courses that they, they didn't know they could do. Uh, and I went into then working with children in residential care who initially it was a lot of abuse and neglect cases, mm. teenagers who, who'd suffered abuse and neglect. Uh, and then I worked with Down syndrome, autism and severe learning difficulties that had such extreme behavior that they, they had to be residential, they couldn't be kept at home. Uh, so, so that work was incredibly challenging, like physically very mm. demanding, mentally very strenuous and so very weird hours. And, and, and in 99, I listened to Sue Lilly do a talk on hacking your body's computer. And she used kinesiology as this uh, kind of analogy of being able to tap in and find out where the programs were, were failing and how to change things and how to uh, kind of re-upload software and change things about, which, you know, considering that's 22 years ago, mm. those analogies are still very, very pertinent for us now. And... I wasn't really enjoying my job, to say the least, working in uh, working in residential care. It was very, very hard. And I had really bad allergic rhinitis, really bad psoriasis. And so I uh, spoke to Sue about it after uh, her talk. Uh, she did a little bit of kinesiology work on me there and then, which was really interesting. And then I went and found a kinesiologist who was local to where I was living at the time in Shrewsbury uh, and had sessions with them, found that I got a lot of benefit from it. 
uh, but I couldn't understand what was happening. So being the kind of character I am, wanted control. So I put myself on a, a kinesiology course uh, and just found that it came very naturally for me that the whole, you know, in my mind, kinesiology is like flow diagrams. Mm. You know, we start with an initial idea and then we follow the flow diagram to either action or information. And, uh, and that, that made a lot of sense to me. So uh, I then quit my job and uh, threw myself into being a kinesiologist. And I'm, you know, where we are now uh, in November uh, 21, I am just uh, three short months away from having done this for 19 years professionally. So wow, that's, that's incredible. Big, uh, and yeah, I, 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 sort of, I, I hear you when you say you took to it like a duck to water, because again, when when I started uh, sort of having kinesiology as a client, um, I mean, just just absolutely loved it. But as soon as I started learning it, I just felt it, it just seemed to make absolutely perfect sense. And, and maybe, yeah, because there is that sort of linear structure, uh, the, the flow diagram aspect to it, um, which I really love. And I mean, it's, it's brilliant because you can bring intuition into it and, and, and all that knowledge, but there is a very good structure in place as well with that that's really, really useful. Um, so you kind of, it sounds like it's always been a part of your life, energy work and meditation and, and being aware of, uh, of all of those kinds of things. Um, now you have this brilliant analogy about uh, the body being like a car and, and the type of road and the type of fuel. And I, I just really love that when, when um, you talked with me for your podcast, uh, talked to me with, uh, for your podcast uh, a few months ago, you, you, you mentioned that and I absolutely loved it. So would you mind just sharing that again? Yeah, sure. I mean, again, I think in a lot of ways it's because being a, an integral practitioner, which is, which is how I kind of identify now because I use Ken Wilber's integral model mm. as the framework for how I look at uh, people's health. Uh, and in the basics of that, we have our subjective stuff that has no location. We have our objective stuff that has a location. So we have our mind as being our subjective individual, mm. our beliefs within there. We can't point to them. There's something subjective. We have our body, its behavior as an objective. We have our culture, our relationships as subjective, and we have our environment as artifacts, uh, artifacts as, as objects. And, and so all of those, we've got body, mind and spirit uh, within that. But within a vehicle analogy, we have this really interesting idea that if we were if we were like obscenely expensive cars you know like i i caught a bit of um uh one of the james bond movies last night and he's in, in a brand new aston martin and yes. it's just like obscenely expensive the kind of car that you won't risk crashing uh if you can help it and if we see ourselves as that ex obscenely expensive car then hopefully what we would do is make sure that we put quality fuel in it Hopefully we would put good quality parts in, not cheap stuff, and hopefully we'd get regular servicing. Now that covers the objective side of us, but the other side of it is we need to be a good driver because you could service well, fuel well, part well, and be a terrible driver and you still wreck your vehicle. Or you can be a great driver that never services, never fuels and never parts your vehicle properly and you'll still wreck your vehicle. So you need both that subjective and objective experience of yourself to really be able to, to look after your vehicle well. And, and like most things, if your vehicle isn't working well, 
what's the excess that you need to do less of and what's the deficiency mm. that you need to do more of and so we can look at those then in those integral quadrants uh, of mind body culture or environment yeah and then i, I think uh, there's there's the environmental factors as well isn't there it's like you know you, your car's looked after you're a very careful driver but the road is full of potholes and hazards and uh, so, off-road <laughs> yeah yeah and and pretty much that's t- tends to be how james bond drives and <laughs> <laughs> that's why they never get to the end of the film without being blown up that's it you know i, I don't think <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a film where he hasn't driven down a flight of stairs. Uh, so I, one of the things that I, I've done with you, Ben, is is your shadow uh, workshops. You're embracing the shadow, which is a really nice positive way of, of um, accessing the shadow. Um, it's one of the things that I've, I've found my, most useful in my own healing and my own personal development. Um, so we'll talk a bit about what what shadow is, hopefully. But again, what what brought you to learning about shadow and your own shadow, if I can ask? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, I think he even even quite early on, thanks to to the stuff that I experienced when I was going to these new age exhibitions and listening to all these speakers, the, this concept of the stuff that annoys you in others is about yourself was was you know there for a long time uh, and i got the idea you know that makes sense i understand it but it wasn't until uh kind of 2010 2011 uh, and two two things happened all within a, a short period of time the the first thing was in 2010 i got introduced into ken wilber's integral theory mm. and a key component of ken's integral life practice is shadow work um because of that need to in some way acknowledge and address aspects of our unconsciousness uh, and then the other thing that happened is that i had a a major change in my circumstances that created a lot of discord in my life Mm. and there were some very key players involved in that and and at first I was very angry about the other about what the other person was and how they were doing things and as I was working into the integral work on shadow I started to realize hey the things I'm angry about in this other person are also things that I don't like in me and they're also things that I deny in myself and try to make about other people and at the same time, I could also see how the the main other character within this situation was doing exactly the same thing, because Absolutely. I could see some of their limitations, their pathologies, their issues, and they were trying to make them about me. Yes. So it, it got to a point where it allowed me to kind of stick my head above the clouds and look at the view in a different way and just go, wow, that's really interesting. Uh, and I... I kind of really involved myself in a lot of shadow work from that as a way to kind of heal from that process, which, which was deeply disturbing for me. You know, it, 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 it almost ended my career. It almost ended my willingness to carry on being. And, yes. you know, I, I, if it hadn't been for the shadow work and it hadn't been for uh, the Zen teacher that uh, I then uh, started working with, Genpai Roshi and Ken's uh, integral work and my, my brother Sai Calder's Life Force Qigong work, mm. you know, all of which started coming around at the same time. 
uh, if it hadn't been for those things, you know, you and I probably wouldn't have been having this conversation. Uh, mm. And I'm not sure if I would have been dead or in jail. It would have been one <laughs> of the two. But, yeah. you know, so, yeah. so shadow work made a, a, a fundamental change to my life at that point. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I knew you at that time as well. And, and I knew what you were going through. And uh, and again, it's it's inspiring to see how you were able to turn that situation around to your advantage and also um, to, to bring that learning out in, in another way that you were able to teach and pass on. Because, I mean, you must have been doing shadow workshops for almost 10 years, I think. I did your first one. Was that 2012? Yeah, that, I think that was, yeah, it was 2012 because it was just before I opened Centre for Integral Health in uh, 2013. Uh, so yeah and by yeah. end of 2012 so yeah and, and like 2010 to 2012 I did so much shadow work and, and started to really realize why isn't everybody doing this yeah. why, why don't we teach teachers this why don't we teach parents this? oh my god absolutely manages this yes. we should definitely teach politicians this yes um, you know it, it, and it, I, I just I just couldn't get over the fact that this was such an unspoken of subject and yet its origins actually sit right back in Jungian psychology from yes. the beginning the early parts of the 20th century and was very much then carried on by the transpersonal psychology community through the 20th century as well. Sounds funny talking about the 20th century like uh, it was a long time ago, but it was. Um, you know, so so it had been building within certain psychological circles for a long, long time, but just didn't have that that mainstream uh, appeal and. I wanted to find a way of saying to people, look, there's a good reason why other people really wind you up and you don't just have to acknowledge it. You can actually change something around that as well. Yeah, because I, I think one of the things I was going to ask you about was um, I think it's it kind of it's got a, a bad reputation. It's like, you know, what I've read about shadow, some people think, you know, oh, you know, if, if, if you start looking into your shadow, you don't know where you'll end up. And, you know, <laughs> like, it, I, 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 I guess there's a belief that it's like it's all the bad parts of yourself that you've cut off that you that you don't want to associate with and it's like if you if you go into that you're unlocking this hideous box but yeah. I mean as people would learn if if and when they do your workshop that actually they're not just the aspects that we're shutting away we're also shutting away these amazing parts of ourselves that we don't think we're worthy of so do, yeah. do you think shadow is misunderstood or it has got this kind of confusing uh, connotation around it I mean, it, it's definitely misunderstood. And uh, I, I think the biggest thing is, is that when you get people that say that they're conscious of their shadow, because that, that's the oxymoron of shadow. <laughs> shadow is always unconscious. You cannot be aware of your shadow. Yeah. You, you can acknowledge that you potentially got shadow aspects, uh, but shadow is always unconscious. So I am still unconscious of parts of my shadow. And the, the, the limiting factors within my own personal development that I am aware of are no longer shadow. Mm. They might not be things that I've very well developed. And, and I think because that concept is quite confusing, that does create a challenge for people. But, you know, I, I liked the way you phrased that kind of, you know, don't go into shadow. You might be unlocking this kind of unknown place. And at the same time, you might be unlocking this really unknown place. <laughs> Because you are, you know, yes. you are stepping into a, a field, a part of yourself that you don't know exactly what's in there, you know, mm. because we know what we know and we know the stuff that we don't know. 
but we don't know how much we don't know. Yes. And the shadow is fathomless. It's not something that is just about our childhood. It's not something that is only those patterns of, uh, of, of youth and of parenting or difficult situations. You can develop new shadow pathology at mm. any point in your life, depending on the stage of development you're at. And, and that's one of the, the factors that we look at within the shadow workshops is the fact that we go through these cognitive worldview developmental stages that in their simplest way, go from our egocentric self, which is just about us, to our ethnocentric self, which is us and uh, our own in, in whatever way we want to describe our, uh, our group. So it could be our relationship, our family, our town, our village, our football team, our country, what, whatever the ethnic group is that you identify, and it might be to multiple groups. Mm. Uh, you know, so we go into ethnocentrism, and then we go into world centrism, where it's me and everyone. And if you're really lucky, you get into cosmocentrism, where it's me and everything. Mm. Uh, and there are there are subsections within all of that. Um, and again, we're going through our pre-conventional, conventional, post-conventional post thought patterns, our pre-personal, uh, personal, transpersonal kind of levels. So we've got all these interesting stages and we can develop shadow pathology within any of them. And as we transition from one to the other. So it's, it's never a done deal. Uh, and I think people think they've done their shadow work. Yeah, that's know? it. My, my, my shadow is now in the light. And, and <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as we know from sort of any kind of personal development, uh, as you do any kind of progression or move through levels or whatever you want to call it, you are inevitably going to then start triggering parts of you that you didn't even know were there because they've never had to, they've never had to to become conscious before you know if, if, if you if you never move into a new situation you're never going to challenge yourself in a new way and so I, I guess so the way I, I think about my my own shadow work is it's about my interaction with the external world it's like if I see something that triggers me some behavior that triggers me or I become aware of a, a certain feeling in a certain situation that's making me aware that there's something in me that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Is that right? That, that that's how you, you start to bring those parts yeah, to consciousness. Definitely. Uh, and there, there's a very important part within that, that defines just stuff that we're troubled by as opposed to shadow. So, so there are two very interesting qualifying aspects that make something shadow. Uh, the first of which is I'm affected by it. Mm. So it's not just noticing a thing. It's not just noticing somebody, somebody's behavior or noticing a pattern or noticing something that it is, a, is, is there. Mm. There's that difference between informing and affecting. Yes. So I might notice uh, that uh, our current government are corrupt and lying, um, <laughs> but I don't necessarily have to be affected by it. Uh, but being affected by the thing is a key element within shadow. Yeah. So if it doesn't affect you, then it's not shadow. You know, yeah. that, that's it, it's it's just information. That's right. It's just information. But we can still be affected by things that are not shadow, you know, because I'm still affected by the corrupt lying <laughs> government. Um, you know, but I don't see it shadow. Because the other thing that sits in there and the second key aspect that we must have for it to be shadow is that we see ourselves to lack that 
capacity yes. and we only see it in others and, and that's the big difference so you know let's say that somebody's behaving in a selfish way I might be affected by that but I can also acknowledge that yeah I'm selfish at times as well yeah. I want things my way too I like to be in control uh, and that that's okay because then that aspect that concept isn't a shadow because mm. you are already acknowledging that you own that capacity uh, and, and that's really all these elements are their capacities their potentials uh, and I, I really kind of encourage people to explore these to quite an extreme end of the spectrum you know for instance uh, one of the the shadow aspects that uh, I find most interesting in myself is, is the concept of the killer or the murderer mm. I acknowledge that I have that capacity and I see it in others and yes I can be affected by how others express that. Now, being able to acknowledge that capacity in me doesn't mean that I'm going to go out killing. Absolutely. And in fact, it makes it less likely that I will because I'm in connection with that aspect of myself. But what it does allow me to do is know when is appropriate for that to be expressed. Mm. Because, you know, if I'm being attacked, then I, you know, physically, I want that capacity of myself right there to be able to protect me. And if that's the level I need to go to in there, then I want to have that available to me. But if we deny that part of ourselves so much that it becomes a shadow, we see it in other people, we get affected by seeing it in other people, but we can't own that capacity for ourselves. Uh, and, and again, this is you know one of the, the reasons I'm really grateful for Genpo Roshi, the Zen teacher I've worked with for over 10 years now, in that we do voice dialogue work with him uh, and you know one of my one of my favorite most liberating voices that i ever did with him is the voice of the fraud uh, <laughs> you know and owning yay i'm a fraud because in the places where i am a fraud i definitely am a fraud but that doesn't mean i always am yes it, it just means that i acknowledge i have that capacity in me and that i don't have to be afraid of that i don't have to deny it uh, and and it's the denial of that aspect in the self that is that big characterization within shadow and that we get affected by it. Yeah, that's really interesting about, about that sort of that killer aspect as well. Because um, I consider myself to be a pacifist. Um, but at the same time, I know that if my family was ever, you know, threatened and 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 that was the only way out of that, that, that I have that, that potential in me, even if that's not something I would want to bring up to the fore all the time. It's like, oh. again, I, I acknowledge that that is there. And, and, and I think, you know, you ask any mother and, and that instinct, instinct would be, would be there, you know, in that, in that protecting their young kind of a way. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think that's, that's a really good kind of example of, yeah. of, of, of shadow. So making, uh, if it's okay, I just want to mm. expand on that as well, yeah. because when we don't have conscious awareness of an aspect of ourselves, then what happens is it tends to play out unconsciously. So yes. we don't see ourselves doing that thing and we'll actively deny that we did that thing and we'll look for reasons to justify it and excuse it and explain it that mean it's not really about that at all in fact we'll go to almost shameful levels of yes. behavior to try and point out that we're not that but you see when there's only one car parking space left in the car park I don't need my killer instinct at that point to <laughs> muscle in and own that space or 
you know, if it's the last ticket for a concert or something like that, I'm not going to kill the guy in the line before <laughs> me. But if I don't have a conscious awareness of that aspect of myself and it is coming out unconsciously, then I don't have control of it. Mm. And that's the difference. So I'm more likely to create problems when I'm unconscious of these <laughs> facets of my personality. So by owning them and really, truly exploring what the purpose of that that part of me is and where its value is and, and every part of us does have a value and mm. does have a place and we're trying to school them to come through in appropriate and discerning situations rather than being triggered by something that's going on around us and then it just coming out without any real control or any real ability to be able to modulate why or how that's expressing itself. Yeah, I, I, I think again, like the, the car parking space or, or the missing out on, on the last ticket of a, of a rock show. Again, it, it's acknowledging <laughs> that actually you are annoyed in that situation, you are angry, um, but being able to realize that, that that's your anger and you know you direct the anger towards the person who got the parking gap it's like how dare yeah, you yeah. <laughs> but but you know it gives you that opportunity to ask yourself why it's annoyed you so much because yeah, you would have sure. quite happily taken that gap and let that that person <laughs> drive yeah, off yeah. Of it, you know but um again from from my own personal experience and my, my own journey with this um it's like if I do find a situation annoying or I am or I'm angry at someone it always gives me an opportunity to ask myself what it is that I'm actually angry about you know what it is in me that feels threatened or has been undermined or undervalued or whatever it is um and and again I've just found that such an incredibly useful tool for my own my own healing um, and this is where Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication becomes such an excellent tool because, you know, let, let's carry on with the car park analogy. Mm. Somebody steals the last space. Ah, I'm angry, man. Why I love the way they've stolen it. <laughs> they stole it, man. They've taken they it from me. That was mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's my feeling. I'm angry. Okay. And I'm owning that. I'm not making, I'm not saying they make me angry. Yeah. I'm angry. You know, what's the unmet need that I've got there? Well, the, the unmet need was I needed a parking space because <laughs> I got an appointment or I need to get stuff done today or whatever. What's the, what's the way of rectifying that? Well, I need a parking space. So I can, I can totally dissolve the behavior of the other as being anything about me, yes. you know, and just take ownership. This was my feeling. That's my unmet need. This is what I need to meet the need. Yes. You know, and it might be that the, the solution for that is either wait around until another space comes up or go find another car park. Yeah. But it gives me power and ownership back within that rather than giving that energy away to somebody else, which doesn't stop the stress happening inside of me, but it does make me in charge of it. And, and that's a different thing. Whereas, whereas if I've given my power to the other, if I've made them responsible for why I feel this way, then I can't resolve that because I've literally disowned that part. Yeah. A story I, I often use with clients and things is um, that my wife, who you know, um, is, is often late for things. And um and and I hate being late for things, you know, and and it's caused conflict. <laughs> and, and, and so a story I'll often say is that you know if we, if we were going out in an evening, say to meet friends, and we were inevitably leaving late, 
and so we were going to turn up late I would be really angry and it's like I'd be I'd, I'd try and try and keep calm but I couldn't I'd, I'd be annoyed and then there'd be friction in the car we'd be driving there we'd either fall out or you know it'd be the, the cold shoulder a bit of silence or whatever it would be and then we would get to wherever we were going and arrive late and and so I would already be annoyed or I'd be upset or and and it's like I knew it was all about judgment feeling judged about being late or maybe coming over as being disrespectful now anyone who knows Alex and I knows we're invariably gonna turn up late <laughs> to wherever <laughs> we're going to and and it's like my my point now is where or where I am now is that I still don't like being late but I yeah can accept it and acknowledge it and I don't take it personally you know this is just the way our our life is because of that um you know it's not like Alex tries desperately to be late it's just the way it it turns out um but it just means that when we go somewhere now I I I don't have that frustration and the annoyance it's like I accept it and and I knew it was my own uncomfortable feeling that I would be then blaming my wife for highlighting in me um so yeah i I just always find that's quite a a useful example of of where i've addressed (laughs) and of course in in the background of that somewhere underneath you know there there is imposed or implied shame that's been pushed towards you Mm. by somebody or something or it's been it's an interjection you've taken on shame at the idea of being late because at some point somebody said to you that being late isn't okay yeah so, yeah absolutely you know, it, it's not okay to be late you know and again you, you've heard me many times use the use the the phrase you know it's not okay in this case to be late except when it is yeah you know? so the, there's a good reason for it uh, and being able to dissolve the responsibility of that it took Alex a different amount of time to be ready than it did for me to be ready so consequently we have a different ETA yeah, absolutely. And I know part of that as well, from, from that judgment point of view, was I didn't want her to be judged. It was like almost that like protecting her from being judged for being late. Um, but yeah, we're lucky we've got friends who are <laughs> happy for us to turn up when we turn up. Yeah. And this is sometimes the question I, I ask people as well when they're expressing, especially some of these, these aspects around feeling judged by others. Mm. I often reverse the question, would you judge somebody or shame somebody for being late or for being whatever it is you're feeling at the moment? And most people will go, no, of course not. Yeah, so absolutely. Well, why would you assume that that's going to yeah, happen? Yeah, we, we would never treat anybody like we treat ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sure, absolutely, and it's it's one of my my favourite two questions uh, that I, I kind of postulate on a regular basis. That if I said to others what I say to myself, would I be arrested? And uh, <laughs> if I wrote what I say to myself on my skin, would I still be beautiful? Yeah, that's that's a really good way of looking at it. One of my favourite ones at the moment is um, speak to yourself like you would a child. Um, you know, because I sometimes think we're we're horrible with ourselves if we make a mistake or um, you know, we don't think we've done our best or, or you know, we think we've 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 done something wrong. It's like, yeah, just treat yourself like you would a child in that situation. Yeah. A bit of a bit of understanding, kindness, you know, um, and and yeah, just <laughs> treat yourself a bit a bit better. 
<laughs> Although I'd like to say, Phil, that there's a big difference between how you treat your children. And well, this is true. <laughs> you know, so I, I would actually say, you know, treat yourself like I would treat my children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I lived on a council estate in Leeds for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I think one of my, my favourite phrases was... Um, come over here or I'll fucking belt you and it's like I mean and I was standing there in a shop in a queue in a shop thinking where's the incentive in that you know yeah, it's so. uh yeah 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 my other favorite one was um the co-op's on fire again but uh yeah it was it was quite rough around there <laughs> <laughs> so um I mean we've, we've sort of touched on ways of you know if, if we we bring some of those subconscious shadowy aspects into the light and you know we we, we find ourselves in a situation where they're highlighted is there a is there an easy way of of dealing with those of of, of, of helping us to acknowledge that feeling and 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 turn that feeling around bring it into the light to embrace it <laughs> Yeah, or, or yeah, although the the light of consciousness, it, you know, at times can be a blinding aspect. So we, I, th I think, part of what we see within shadow as well is we're still locked into this idea of duality. We're still mm. locked into the idea that some things are good and some things are bad, yeah. and, and really all things are relative. Um, and and I think the first thing that we have to do is is, is acknowledge that we are doing this to us. Uh, and again, I, I kind of come back to Marshall Rosenberg's uh, nonviolent communication on this, because one of the things he's really adamant about is that nobody ever makes you feel any particular way. Mm. You and only you do it to you. Anybody else or anything else can be the stimulus, but the response is choice is not quite the right word to it but there can be a degree of consciousness around that and there's always a pause between stimulus and response yeah. and so what we want to do is try and use the pause effectively and, yeah. and have a look you know and again that noticing that I feel uncomfortable within myself there's something shifted within me you know it's I mean one of the things that I think is one of the classic ones is when you give somebody a compliment or when you tell them how much you appreciate them you know it's that oh thank you you know and the, and the body's like, oh, oh oh you don't need to say that to me oh thank you oh you know and you can see they're really struggling to actually take that on board as their body doesn't really know what to do with a compliment so so notice the body notice the effect and take on board that that is your response and it's it's very easy to try and you know again this is the dissociation of shadow try and blame the other you made me feel xyz yeah. when you said xyz i mean it's it's never the case and i mean one of the the beautiful things that again marshall's work we we kind of look at the difference between uh, a feeling and an interpretation for example like you can't feel rejected Mm. it's actually impossible because rejection assumes an intention on the part of the other person now if they say to you i'm rejecting you that's different yeah but if they behave in any particular way we don't necessarily know that they're rejecting us they might just be struggling with their own stuff yeah you know where's our curiosity about what world what model of the world that other person is representing at that time so 
we have to recognize that rejection is an interpretation. It's not a feeling. So what am I feeling? Am I feeling uncomfortable, tight, down, depressed, you know, hot? Yeah. agitated Re really identify the feeling and then again what what is it that is going on here for me uh, and so a little bit of self-inquiry that isn't about the other you know, yes. what's the need that I really need to be met right now do I need some acknowledgement do I need a hug do I need a conversation Wh where else is it that I'm going and you know one of my my, my favorite techniques in shadow is uh, you know as you'll know from the course is the three two one technique yes where where we take the time to and we can either do this mentally or we can do it on paper it's best to do it on paper to start with but we start out by describing the situation that we're in in third person terms so we we look at it as he she they yes uh, so he did this she said that it felt like this, I'm feeling like this, yeah. this is the effect it had. So we describe the situation. And then to create an imaginary dialogue within ourselves. So I write both parts. So let's say it's me and Bob. Bob's been, um, I don't know, leaving a mess in the house all week long, you know, and I'm frustrated by that. So Bob, yeah. why are you leaving a mess in the house? Man, I didn't realize I was leaving a mess in the house, sorry. What do you call all this stuff that's over the floor then, Bob? Uh, yeah, I dropped some stuff. I was going to clear it up later. Really frustrates me when you do that. Hey, man, I'm sorry I didn't realize. Mm -hmm. I'll make more of it in the future. Thanks, Bob. That'd be great. So, so then I have a dialogue about what is it that's going on inside of me. And it's amazing how often the dialogues uncover for us assumptions that we make about how yes. we think others will behave what they ought to should do must do need yeah. to do you know all of these ideas that we've never had a conversation with them about this yeah and, and they don't know that that's the way we feel about that thing uh you know and again with, with my partner it's been such a beautiful exploration that you know to this identification of a an irritation what is it that I'm really bothered by? Have we actually talked about it? Mm. And whenever we talk about it, it's kind of like, okay, great, thanks. I know that now and, and I'll work to change that. So we do our dialogue and then we actually come back as the one part of the three, two, one and we, we describe the situation from the other person's mm. perspective as we imagine it using ourselves in the third person. So I would refer to Ben's getting really frustrated by all the mess that I leave around on the floor. Man, I didn't know he was so bloody picky. Yeah. Uh, looks like a bit of order, borderline OCD. <laughs> uh, you know, which uh, I, I put a joke up online about this the other day saying, I don't call it OCD. I call it putting the thing back in its right place. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it's looking at it from a different direction. So we create a bit of space we create, you know, in NLP, they talk about it as being like a 180. We're mm. looking at it through the other lens, but we can look at it from multiple perspectives and, and imagine if that person over there saw this situation, what are they seeing? You know, is it the same experience? Are other people around me as affected by this thing as I am, you know, or at all? Have yeah. they even noticed? Uh, and a lot of the time it's it's all stuff that's just shadow boxing inside our own heads yeah yeah I think that's a really good point because quite often yeah we're making an awful lot of assumptions when when we're dealing with this stuff I think as well what's important is is you mentioned uh, uh, sort of uh, leading into the three two one process about that that pause where we have a 
a moment to decide how we're going to respond to that situation. And, and I think uh, that's what a lot of my work with clients is about, is actually about making those pauses happen. Because if we're incredibly stressed or we're incredibly anxious, those pauses are so minuscule. You know, we, yeah. we go from stimulus to response so, so quickly. But when oh, yeah. we, we slow our systems down, and I found this with access bars was one of the things I really responded to with access bars is that everything just seems so much slower and, and all that crowded stuff in my head seemed to pull back. And so when there was any kind of stimulus, it was almost like it was slowed down and you could actually think about what the situation was and and quite often there wasn't a need for a response but if we don't have that space that response is almost instantaneous yeah yeah sure and there's a great uh, quote that uh, like there was a whole chapter heading in a book i read many years ago called the gift of therapy that was simply strike when the iron is cold yes sometimes what we need to do is just let something percolate for a minute and and have a, a quick run around the what's going on for me as as this stimulus comes in and why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing around it and it's amazing the amount of times that there's been a stimulus I've felt a response in my body I've checked in and gone okay this could be a bit shadow I've done mm-hmm. a three two one in my head I've laughed something's gone on and people around me have kind of like seen this little <laughs> chuckle come out of me and it's kind of like what are you laughing at it's like, it doesn't matter it's fine just just, just getting over something it's good yeah that's (laughs) that's brilliant oh ben that's been really useful i hope people have have learned a little bit i mean you know we're here chuckling away about shadow i think it's that's that's the thing with a lot of this work i always think you know it's it's serious work and it has a serious outcome but you don't have to be serious while you're doing it um are you running workshops at the moment Uh, I'm currently not running the shadow workshop. I'm in a very, uh, what should I say, uh, considerate and steady production of the e-learning course for it so that people will be able to self-guide through it. Um, You know, and, uh, you know, I think one of the things as well that, that, that is really important to say in shadow, and I don't think we've said it quite enough, is that all of the bits about you that you're not okay with in terms of good quality features, your creativity, Mm. your beauty, your compassion, your kindness, all of those things that you don't want to believe are good about you, you know, that maybe that you're a good carer or you're great at time management or you understand how to organize or you're a fabulous cook, all of the things that people like to congratulate you and thank you for, and the ones that give you the squirm and you feel uncomfortable about, they are as much shadow as anything else. Yeah. You know, so we don't need to create this limitation around. It's just the bad stuff. More of it, I would say, at certain levels is the good stuff as well. Because yeah. if we could accept more. And, and it's the famous uh, quote, isn't it? The Marianne Williamson quote uh, that's often attributed to um, Nelson Mandela is that it's it's not our darkness we're most afraid of it's our light mm-hmm. and you know it's those good qualities that we really need to look at and and i you know in, in the the workshops i've really tried to kind of impress upon that uh, and and again i'm bringing that forward in the e-learning and the, the e-learning is a much more complex thing because the the embracing your shadow workshop that you did that's only part one of the four parts that i've got oh, wow. in planning. so so we've got quite an extensive program coming up with it 
Um, but because other parts of life are so busy, it's just taking a little bit of time to get it there. But obviously I'll announce it when it happens. But awesome. you know, I'm also really happy to do one-to-one work with people on Shadow as well. So Brilliant. either in, in Zoom uh, kind of scenarios or uh, in person, either in, in Chester or in Shrewsbury where I am based. Um, and we can do shadow work. And I've done some good shadow mentoring over the last year or so with people that are just sticking with stuff. And we can just look at some of those basic aspects and, you know, kind of ask some questions and work through some stuff as well. So there's always a, a way of doing it, um, you know, and there are there are some good books out there if you stick your nose around uh, and have a look at some stuff. Uh, but yeah, I hope to have the workshop ready in the new year. As Fantastic. Well, as so, so how can people find you, Ben, if they want one to one or to find out a bit more about what yeah. you do? So website is the easy place. It's just bencolder.co.uk. And as you can see from the screen thing, it's Calder with an A because it's Scottish, <laughs> Calder. Uh, uh, so bencolder.co.uk. You can also find me, Ben Calder Integral Health, on uh, Facebook. You can find me, Benji Calder, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and Ben Calder Inst- Integral Health on LinkedIn as well. So Brilliant. It's you're everywhere. My name. <laughs> <laughs> my name and Integral Health and, and you'll find me. Uh, Fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing uh, your time and your experiences and expertise with me today, Ben. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Phil. Thank you. And, and always great speaking to you as well. Thank you very much.